welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And at last, the new year is just upon us, this time of reflection on all that has preceded us in this past year. And more importantly, thinking about what is about to come ahead, resolutions, changing ourselves, all that. Aiding us in that reflection today is an amazing story. Uh, I I gushed about this when I did the uh, Fred's Fuse back uh, when it was first released a few months ago. Um, Produced by our friends, the Chatterbox Audio Theater down in Memphis, Tennessee. The story, Dead and Gone. It's a retelling of the classic James Joyce story, The Dead. Yes, James Joyce in audio drama. I don't know of anyone else who has been brave enough to try this. Certainly no one recently, but Chatterbox has done an amazing job with this tale. And, um, you know, really, when I thought about it, who would be better to challenge our attention, our ability to pay attention and challenge our assumptions in this group of talented performers and uh, sound artists, uh, just an amazing group of people, uh, with dozens of tales, and this may be uh, one of the finest uh, among them. Um, for that, however... Change Gears, I want to share with you a short piece from uh, another favorite of mine, uh, possibly my favorite podcast, certainly my favorite audio fiction podcast, the Drabblecast. If you are not a Drabblecast listener, you cannot imagine what you've been missing out on. Uh, host Norman Sherman reads flash fiction stories each week, um, often adds music and sound effects and even multiple voices to help animate them and make them more than just a you know single narrator uh, droning on and on, but really quite an entertaining thing. Not pure, full-on audio dramatizations like you hear on this show, but uh, very much more interesting than a pure uh, audiobook in the traditional sense of it. If you are into audio storytelling, um, as well as the absurd, if you have uh, a twisted uh, taste in fiction, this is a podcast you absolutely must be listening to. Just check out drabblecast.org, D-R-A-B-B-L-E, cast.org. All right. So anyways, before we get into our feature program, we have a story revealing a shocking secret that Christmas was close to not happening due to Santa Claus's imprudence until the greatest charity workers of all stepped in. Here from 2008, the Drabblecast Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas, and into the dwelling, Santa snuck down, After a day of short-selling. This is Santa. What do you mean Johnson can't get rid of those securities? Why, they're going up every day. You tell that son of a bitch that if we get stuck... As he emptied out presents, he was quite unaware of little Timmy hiding behind a papazon chair. Gotcha now, Santa Claus. Oh my, you are real. Well now... I suppose I am, then. I knew it. Are those my presents? Gimme! Hold on now, Timmy. Have you been naughty or nice this year? I'll ask the questions round here, Santa Claus. Have you ever been on a newspaper page before? Now, Timmy, let's not be so hasty with that photograph. I'm sure we can work something out. Let's cut the bullcrap, Kringle. If you hand over that bag of toys, I won't blow your cover. Naughty or nice? Your call, fat man. Timmy, I don't think you realize all that Santa's gone through lately to bring you these toys. You almost didn't get anything this year. What? No toys? You can't do that. I'm freaking entitled. Well, Timmy, 
toys don't just magically appear. There are all sorts of labor costs and materials involved. Santa used to pay for these and deliver presents through a free market economy based on children's behavior. You know, naughty or nice, and all the gradients in between. But then the government gave Santa huge capital gain tax cuts for his toy production. And, well, Santa's so generous, he wanted to give as many toys as he could to as many children as possible. Even if those children hadn't really been very nice at all that year. This subprime child conduct market was too good to pass up, and Santa gave a lot of risky demeanored children lines of conduct credit with five-year adjustable interest rate conduct mortgages. Well, Timmy, a lot of these children defaulted on their behavior loans, and Santa was tied to a bunch of overvalued conduct finance instruments, which almost caused him to go bankrupt. Bankrupt? What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about the recession, Timmy. The fact that 40,000 elves were laid off last week. The fact there was almost no Christmas this year, Timmy. Almost. But fortunately... The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. With your mom and daddy's tax dollars, they made everything okay again. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because we don't have to liquidate Christmas. Santa, what the freaking crap are you talking about? Well, Timmy, allow me to elucidate. You look in your stocking, I look in my portfolio. My stinky doo-doo assets are like your hunk of coal. But fortunately for you and for me, America needs Saint Nick. And I can keep giving you things you don't deserve once I'm deleveraged. Santa, just shut up and give me a freaking Xbox already. All in due time, Timmy. All in due time. Cause market intervention circumvents every intention of silly spending abstention that causes tragic vending prevention. Now listen closely, Timmy, cause I don't want you to miss this. Instead of a Black Monday, we'll have another white Christmas. Because the government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. With your mom and daddy's tax dollars, they made everything okay again. Yes, the government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because we don't have to liquidate Christmas. That's right, Timmy. Things were looking pretty ho-ho-hopeless until Christmas became nationalized by the U.S. government. Nationalized? What the crap does that mean? Well, Timmy, a long time ago, people celebrated Christmas as a religious holiday, marking the birthday of a peaceful demigod named Yesu. Then Santa and some other shareholders bought out the holiday and really revamped the entire sector. But all that's changed, and now Christmas would be an egalitarian, classless, stateless holiday based on common ownership, and while my elves will still manufacture the toys in the North Pole, the suits in Washington will really control all of the means of production. So here's part of an Xbox. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, Festivus, the season of giving, and economic stimulus packages there underneath your tree are only there because the government bailed out the reindeer industry. 
So bust out the figgy pudding, down the champagne, and forget about your problems and your 401k. And be thankful that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission can't regulate the sacred and most holy of traditions. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus with your mom and daddy's tax dollars. They made everything okay again. The government stepped in and bailed out Santa Claus. And now everybody's happy because they don't have to liquidate Christmas. And that's the story of how the government saved Christmas. <laughs> and that was the Drabblecast Christmas, revealing to us what really happened with Santa last year. Okay, uh, and now my favorite line, now for something completely different. Uh, our feature program, an hour-long special story of serious drama delivered well, uh, fine performances, brilliantly understated sound effects and music coming from the heart of the Southland, Memphis, Tennessee. Enjoy Chatterbox Audio Theater's Dead and Gone. By the flow of the inland river, whence the fleets of iron have fled, where the blades of the grave grass quiver, asleep are the ranks of the dead. Under the sod and the dew, waiting the judgment day. Under the one, the blue. Under the other, the gray. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Dead and Gone, a southern retelling of James Joyce's The Dead. Memphis, 1905. Carmen! Carmen! Oh, Mr. Conroy! Miss Kate and Miss Julie thought maybe y'all weren't going to turn up. <laughs> I'll wager they did, Lily. But what Aunt Kate and Aunt Julie forget is that my wife here takes three living hours to get herself dressed. Hello, Mrs. Conroy. You look so beautiful. Come in. Hello, Lily. Thank you very much. Cold night out there, Lily. Cold and wet. Miss Kate, Miss Julie, Mr. and Mrs. Conroy here. Who's that, Lily? Mr. and Mrs. Conroy. Oh, Kate? Kate, Margaret, Gabriel are here. We'll be right down. <laughs> They'll be right down. <laughs> oh, splendid. Oh, God. Look at this mess on my galoshes. Let me see if I can... Oh, oh hello, Margaret, dear. Oh, why, just look at you. Hello, Aunt Kate. <laughs> Come in, Margaret. Come in. My lands, isn't that a beautiful dress? Hello, Aunt Julie. So sorry we're late. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. We were just a little worried, that's all. But where's Gabriel? Isn't he with you? Oh, here I am. Right as rain, Aunt Kate. <laughs> just trying to get some of this mud off my galoshes. Oh. Why don't you two take Margaret on up? I'll be... I'll be right behind you. All right, Gabriel, but don't take too long. Come on up now, 
Now, Margaret, some of the most interesting people are here. Do you know Arthur Crandall, the tenor? I'll get him to sing later on. Oh, Memphis is raving about him. Lovely voice. Lovely voice. <laughs> is it snowing bad, Miss Conroy? Oh, yes, Lily, it is. I, I think we're in for a night of it. So, tell me, Lily, are you are you still in school? Oh, no, sir. Oh. I finished with school more than a year ago. Oh, really? Well, then I suppose we'll be going to your wedding one of these days with your young man. No, sir. No? Uh, why not? Men nowadays is only all sweet-talking what they can get out of you. Oh. Oh, um... Uh, I, I am leaving my galoshes here by the door, Lily. Uh, please don't let me forget them on my way out. Oh, uh, Lily, uh, uh, come here. Uh, give me your hand. Uh, it's it's Christmas time, isn't it? Just well, uh, here's a little something. Oh, oh no, Mr. Conroy, I saw I couldn't. Christmas time. Christmas oh, well, time. Thank you, Mr. Conroy. And so tonight I echo, tonight I choose to echo, the words of the great Robert Browning. Oh, for God's sake, Gabriel. You only make yourself look like a knob by quoting poetry that they don't understand. Browning? No, no, no. It's, it's all wrong. The, the tone is wrong. The, the whole damn thing is a mistake from beginning to end. A, a complete failure. Chained up right in the middle of the park. We've promised to bring the children over to see it. Tom is beside oh. himself. Oh, there you are, Gabriel. Here I am. Margaret tells us you're not taking a cab back to Collierville tonight, Gabriel. Uh, no, we learned our lesson last year, didn't we, darling? Oh, don't you remember, Aunt Kate, what a cold Margaret came down oh, with? That's right. Cab windows rattling all the way, the wind blowing in. What a miserable odyssey that was. Margaret was sick for a week. Heaven knows, Gabriel, you can't be too careful. Well, I can't, and that's the truth. As for Maggie there, why, she'd walk home barefoot in the snow if I let her. <laughs> Wouldn't you, darling? <laughs> Don't mind him, Aunt Kate. He's been a real pain in the neck lately. What with green shades for Tom's eyes at night and making him ride around town on a bicycle. Oh, and forcing Eva to eat cabbage. Nearly every day. Poor child, she hates the sight of it. Oh, well, you'll never guess what he makes me wear now. <laughs> what is it, Margaret? Yes, yes, you can tell us. Galoshes. <laughs> That's the latest. Whenever it's wet outside, I just have to put on my galoshes. Well, tonight even he wanted me to wear them, but I wouldn't stand for it. Lord, the next thing he'll buy me will be a diving suit. <laughs> and, and what are galoshes, Gabriel? Galoshes? Julie, bless your heart. You don't know what galoshes are. You wear them over your... Uh, over your boots, isn't it, Margaret? Yes, over your boots. We both have a pair now. Well, Gabriel says everyone is wearing them in New York City. Oh, oh New York City. Well, they're nothing particularly wonderful. But Margaret does seem to find it amusing. For some reason, it makes her think of the minstrel shows of the Grand. 
But tell me, Gabriel, you've seen about the room, haven't you? It will be so late. Yes, yes, Aunt Kate. Uh, It's all taken care of. I've got us a room at the Peabody. Of course. By far the best thing to do. And the children, Margaret. Aren't you worried about them? Oh, not for one night. Bessie will look after them. What a blessing it must be to have a girl like that. One you can count on. There's that Lily. I'm sure I don't know what has come over her. She's not the same girl she used to be at all. Now, I, now I ask you, where's Julie going? Julie? Julie, where are you going? Here's Freddy. Freddy? Oh, Lord, Gabriel. Gabriel, slip down there and see if he's all right. And don't let him up if he's pickled. Oh, I just know he's pickled. I just know he is. Uh, Of course, Aunt Kate. Uh, Leave everything to me. (laughs) Well, Freddy. Freddy Malins, you old son of a gun. Isn't it such a relief to have Gabriel around? I feel easy in my mind when he's here. He always says just the right thing. He has a wonderful way with words, Aunt Kate. I do hope he's ready with his speech tonight. It's always the highlight of the party. I'm sure it will be wonderful, Aunt Julie. Well, he's been working on it for days now, practicing in front of the mirror. Oh, oh, Kate. Here's Miss Daly and Miss Power. I'm sure they'd like some refreshment. You look so graceful out there on the dance floor. Miss Daly, you're a natural dancer. Thank you, Julie. Hasn't this old pie eater earned some refreshment as well, Miss Morgan? Kate, Kate, here is Mr. Brown. Please take him in with Miss Daly and Miss Power. Oh, I'd be honored to take the ladies in myself, Miss Morgan. Come along, ladies. I'm the man for you. (laughs) Oh, you know, Miss Morgan, the reason they're so fond of me is because... Kate, never mind. Mr. Brown is taking in Miss Daly and Miss Power. Yes. Well, ladies, if you'll accompany me into the grand ballroom, I'll be happy to treat you to a few glasses of ladies' punch. (laughs) No, well, lemonade it is, then. Meanwhile, I myself could use just the smallest snip of Jack. God help me now, it's the doctor's orders. Mary Jane! Mary Jane, don't you think it's time for some dancing? Of course, Aunt Kate. Quadrilles. Oh, quadrilles. Oh, everyone. Two gentlemen and three ladies. All I'm saying is I had never, I had never thought in a million years I would see a man get, well, you know, tomahawked. And this, uh, this uh, creeping bear, I think he was called. Why, Julie, what's bear. the matter? Who is it? It's just Freddy, Kate, and Gabriel with him. Hello, Freddy. And a heartfelt good evening to you, Miss Morgan. He's not so bad, is he? Oh, no, hardly noticeable. But isn't he awful? And after his poor mother made him take the pledge for the holidays. Uh, right this way, Freddy. Oh, Careful now. It sounds like we're just in time for a dance. Oh, well, bless my soul if it isn't Mr. Freddy Malins ragged out to beat the band. Oh, 
Mr. Brown, I thought you'd gone in with Miss Daly and Miss Power. Well, you know how ladies are, Miss Morgan. With their dance cards all filled up as soon as the evening starts, why, you'd have to arrive two hours early just to stake a claim. <laughs> Isn't that right, Freddy? Hello, Brown. Freddy, my boy, are you tight already? I'll be damned. <laughs> Now then, come on inside and let's get you a glass of something that'll buck you up. Mr. Brown. Oh, lemonade, of course. Just a nice cold glass of lemonade. Uh, come on inside, Freddy. What was it I heard you saying about old creeping bad? I was there, Brown. I was there when Millard got it. Just whacked in the head, you know. Skull pop clean in two. Oh, man. Okay, Gabriel, let's go in, too. I could use a bite of something. All right, then, Margaret. Uh, after you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. What lovely dancing. And next, we shall have a waltz. Pair up, please. Pair up. Oh, excuse me. Uh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Margaret, uh, Margaret, wait. Uh, I'm very sorry. Please pardon me. I, uh... Well, Mr. Conroy, if you haven't any other partner at the moment, I hope you wouldn't object to dancing with me. Uh, why, why, of course not, Miss Ivers. I, I would be delighted. Good. I have a bone to pick with you. Is everybody ready? Yes. Oh, yeah. One, two, three, here we go. What, what was that you said, Mary? I said I have a bone to pick with you. With me? That's right. Oh, is it, is it something at the school? I, I really understand our, our friend, the headmaster, is making some fairly significant changes, but they're, they're nothing to do with me. I... It isn't about the school. Who is G.C.? Oh, I... Uh... Oh, my. But you look frightened, Mr. Conroy. Your expression gives you away completely. I have discovered that you write for the new cemetery, Mr. Conroy. Now, aren't you ashamed of yourself? And why should I be ashamed of myself? Well, I'm ashamed of you to think you'd write for a progressivist rag like that. I hadn't pegged you for a scallywag, Mr. Conroy. You who are in charge of so many young minds. Uh, Miss Ivers, it is true that I write a literary column every Wednesday for the new cemetery, but it only concerns literature and has nothing whatever to do with politics. Uh, surely that alone does not make me a scalawag. Uh, surely of that... course, Mr. Conroy. <laughs> I was only joking with you. Oh, come, we turn now. Oh, Mr. Conroy, will you travel with us on an excursion to the Gulf this summer? Biloxi, Gulfport, New Orleans. We'll be gone for a whole month. It'll be splendid swimming. The water gets so warm down there, you know. You really ought to come. Mr. Baker's coming, and Mr. Hartford, and Elizabeth Wells. It would be splendid for Margaret, too. She's from Louisiana, I believe, isn't she? Her, her people are. You see there, it couldn't be more perfect. So you'll come. Well, you, you see, Miss Ivers, as much as I appreciate the invitation, the fact is, well, the fact is I have already arranged to go. Go where? Well, you know, every year I, I go for a, a cycling tour with some gentlemen and so... But where? Well, usually we go to uh, Massachusetts or, or Ver 
Vermont or, or perhaps New Hampshire. And why do you go to Massachusetts and Vermont instead of visiting your own land? Well, it's it's partly to, to, to keep in touch with other cultures and, and but partly for a change. And haven't you your own culture to keep in touch with here in the South? Well... And haven't you your own land to visit that you know nothing of? Your own people? To tell you the truth, I'm sick of the South. Sick of it! Mr. Conroy, why are you sick of the South? <laughs> of course you've no answer. Scallywag. Gabriel? Oh, Gabriel! If you will pardon me, Miss Ivers, my wife is calling to me. Oh, of course. Coming, Margaret. What is it, dear? Gabriel, Aunt Kate wants to know if you'll carve the turkey like always. Miss Daly will carve the ham, and I'll help with the pies. All right, dear. After that, they're hoping you'll do your speech. Will you be ready? Yes, yes, I'll be ready. Were you dancing? Oh, of course I was. Didn't you see me? What words did you have with Mary Ivers? No words. Uh, Why? Oh, never mind. I'm trying to get Mr. Crandall to sing. He's too proud, I think. But I'm trying. There were no words, only... Only she wanted me to go on a trip to the Gulf this summer, and I I said I wouldn't. Oh, let's go, Gabriel. I'd love to see New Orleans again. You can go if you like. Well, there's a nice husband for you. I only meant... Ladies and gentlemen! Lord, it's that Mr. Brown again. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, every year we gather here at the home of the three Miss Morgans, Miss Kate, Miss Julie, and their lovely niece, Mary Jane. We've known these remarkable women for many years, and we know how capably they teach our children the fine art of music. (laughs) Now, here tonight, you've all heard Mary Jane's glorious piano playing, but it's rare indeed that either of the other two ladies consents to put her talent on display. But as you know, it's the holidays, and at last, my Christmas wish has been granted. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you Miss Julie Morgan. <laughs>
tonight. Now, would you believe that now? Because it's God's honest truth. Upon my word, it's the truth. I, I never heard your voice sound so fresh and so so clear and so fresh. Never. Oh, why, why, thank you, Freddie. What lovely compliments. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Julie Morgan, my latest discovery. Oh, thank you. Well, Brown... If you're serious, you could do a lot worse. All I'm saying is that I never heard her sing half so well as long as I've been coming here, and that's God's honest truth. Neither have I, Freddie. I think her voice has greatly improved. Oh, well, I suppose 30 years ago I hadn't a bad voice, as voices go. I often told Julie that she was simply thrown away in that church choir. But she never would pay me any mind. No, she wouldn't pay any mind to anyone. Slaving there in that choir night and day, night and day. Six o'clock on Christmas morning. And all for what, Julie? Well, isn't it for the glory of God, Aunt Kate? I know all about the glory of God, Mary Jane. But I think it's not at all glorious for a pastor to turn a woman out of the choir who is slave there her whole life and put some little whippersnapper up in her place. I suppose it is for the good of the church if the pastor does it. But it is not just, Mary Jane, and it is not right. Now, Aunt Kate, you're giving scandal to Mr. Brown, who is one of our most active deacons. Oh, I... I don't question the pastor's being right. I'm only a stupid old woman, and I wouldn't presume to do that. But there is such a thing as common, everyday politeness and gratitude. And if I were in Julie's place, I'd tell that Reverend he'd straight to his and face. And besides, Aunt Kate, we really are all hungry. And when we are hungry, we are all very quarrelsome. Oh. And when we're thirsty, we're also quarrelsome. So we had better go to supper and finish the discussion afterwards. Come on now. just a few more minutes, Mary. Why don't you stay through supper? Oh, thank you, Margaret, but I just can't. What's this? Uh, uh, Miss Ivers, you're, you're not leaving, I hope. I'm afraid so, Mr. Conroy. I'm not the least bit hungry, and to tell the truth, I've already overstayed my time. Oh, ten more minutes, Mary. Now that won't hurt, will it? You need a bite or two after all that dancing. I really couldn't. I'm afraid you didn't enjoy yourself at all. I had a wonderful time, Margaret, I promise. But now you really must excuse me. But how will you get home? It's a right blizzard out there. Oh, I'm only a few blocks away. If if you will allow me, Miss Ivers, 
them. I will see you home if you really are obliged to go. Absolutely not. I won't hear of it. Now, for goodness sakes, go on into your supper and quit making such a fuss over me. I'm quite able to take care of myself. Well, you certainly are a pig-headed sort, aren't you, Mary? Deo windike. Good night. How strange. What do you make of it, Gabriel? Hmm? I said, what do you make of it? Oh, well, you, you know, Margaret, Mary is... Always been a bit of an odd duck. Even at the school, she's never been able to... Where's Gabriel? Where on earth is Gabriel? There's everyone waiting in there and no one to carve the turkey. Here I am, Aunt Kate. (laughs) Ready to carve a flock of turkeys if necessary. And you, Miss Furlong, uh, what shall I send you? Some some leg meat or a, a slice of the breast? Just a small slice of the breast, please. Uh, uh, Miss Higgins, what for you? Oh, anything at all, Mr. Conrad. Here we are. Now, if anyone would like a little more of what we country folk call stuffing, let him speak now or forever hold his peace. <laughs> you have a seat and eat your own supper, Gabriel. Very well, very well. Ladies and gentlemen, kindly forget my existence for a few moments. <laughs> now, what was that you were saying, Mr. Crandall? Oh, I've completely forgotten. About the opera company at the Lyceum? Oh, yes, yes. They have the most amazing contralto there these days. Oh, you mean that Deborah Walker? I saw her once, and her style was a bit vulgar for my taste. Really, Miss Furlong? I'm surprised to hear you say that. I saw her last fall, and I think Do you she... know, uh, Crandall, that uh, tall Negro who sings in the Silas Green minstrel shows? He's the real thing, mind you. None of this burnt cork makeup. Not for him. No, sir. And would you believe he has one of the finest tenor voices I've ever heard? Silas Green from New Orleans. You are familiar with him, aren't you, Crandall? I'm afraid not. Because I'd be curious to hear your opinion of him. You see, I think he has an outstanding voice. It's just just beautiful, you know? <laughs> it takes Freddie to find out the really good things. <laughs> and why couldn't you have a good voice, too? Is it because he's only a colored... At uh, any rate, I still remember the old days when there was something like real singing to be heard in this town. Back when I was a boy, the top gallery of the Blue Ruin used to be packed night after night. There's this one time I remember when an Italian soprano sang five encores of the Queen of the Night aria and never missed a single note. And do you know the stagehands got so excited... They unyoked the horses from her carriage and pulled her through the streets themselves. Yeah, now it's just all vaudeville shows and minstrel acts. Why do they never play the grand old operas anymore, do you think? If you ask me, it's because they can't find anybody to sing them. Oh, well, Mr. Brown, I presume there are as good singers today as there were back when. Then uh, where are they, Crandall? In London, Paris, Milan. For example, I'd say Caruso is just as good, if not better than, anyone who came before him. Hmm. Well, that may be true, but I'll tell you, I seriously doubt it. Oh, I'd give 
anything to hear Caruso sing, wouldn't you, Aunt Kate? For me, there was only one tenor. To please me, I mean. But I don't suppose any of you have ever heard of him. Who was he, Miss Morgan? His name was Parkinson. I heard him when he was in his prime, and I think he had the purest, most angelic voice that was ever put into a man's throat. Strange. The name doesn't ring a bell. Yes, yes, Miss Morgan's absolutely right. I remember hearing something about old Parkinson. Too far back for me, though. A beautiful, pure, sweet, mellow, southern tenor. Margaret? Margaret, dear, shall shall we bring out the pies? Oh, you stay it, Kate. I'll get them. Miss Higgins, do you mind helping me? Oh, certainly. I'm worried I didn't get the crust quite brown enough. I'm sure they'll be delicious, Miss Morgan. And anyway, Miss Morgan, I should hope I'm brown enough for you because, you know, I'm all brown. (laughs) Here we are. Uh, Miss Higgins, if you'll put yours down at the other end of the table. Gabriel, we have some celery for you, since I know you never eat sweets. Very thoughtful of you, Aunt Julia. Uh, Celery for me, too, please. It's good for the blood, you know. I'm I'm trying to be careful. I'm under the doctor's care just now. In fact, I'm headed to Subiaco in a week or so for a nice, long rest. Oh, Subiaco. The air is so clean over there, so fresh. And the monks are so hospitable. Do you know, Mr. Brown, that they never ask for any money from their guests? What? You mean to tell me that a fella can go over there to the abbey, put up as if it were a hotel, and live off the fat of the land, and then just come away without paying a cent? Well... Of course, most people give some donation to the monastery when they leave. I wish we had an institution like that in our church. (laughs) The monks never speak, you know. They get up at 2 o'clock every morning, and they spend every night in their coffins. In their coffins? What in blazes for? That's the rule of the order. Yes, but why? Well... It's the rule. That's all. You see, Brown, the monks are trying to make up for the sins committed by all the sinners in the outside world. Well, as a sinner myself, I must say I support the efforts. (laughs) But wouldn't those old monks be more comfortable in a spring bed than in a coffin? The coffin is to remind them of their last end. I don't know that I could stand so much reminded. (laughs) They're good men, the monks. Very pious. Very good men. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen, it has fallen to me this evening, as in years past, to perform a very pleasing task, but a task for which I'm afraid my poor powers as speaker are sadly inadequate. No, no! But however that may be, I can only ask you tonight to take the will for the deed and to lend me your attention for a few moments while I endeavor to express to you in words what my feelings are on this occasion. Ladies and gentlemen, 
It is not the first time we have gathered together under this hospitable roof, around this hospitable board. It is not the first time that we have been the recipients, or perhaps I had better say, the victims, of the hospitality of certain good ladies. I feel more strongly with every passing year that the South has no tradition which does it more honor and which it should guard more jealously than that of its hospitality. It is a tradition that is unique as far as my experience goes, and I have visited more than a few places abroad among the modern nations. Some would say, perhaps, that with us it is rather a failing than anything to be boasted of. But granted even that, it is, to my mind, a princely failing, and one that I trust will long be cultivated among us. Of one thing, at least, I am sure. As long as this one roof shelters the good ladies aforesaid, and I wish from my heart it may do so for many and many a long year to come, the tradition of genuine, warm-hearted, courteous southern hospitality, which our forefathers have handed down to us, and which we, in turn, must hand down to our descendants, is still alive among us. Ladies and gentlemen, a new generation is growing up in our midst, a generation actuated by new ideas and new principles. It is serious and enthusiastic for these new ideas, and its enthusiasm, even when it is misdirected, is, I believe, in the main, sincere. But we are living in a skeptical, and if I may use the phrase, a thought-tormented age, and sometimes I fear that this new generation, educated or hyper-educated as it is, will lack those qualities of humanity, of hospitality, of kindly humor which belonged to an older day. Listening tonight to the stories of all those great singers of the past, it seemed to me, I must confess, that we are living in a less spacious age. Those days might, without exaggeration, be called spacious days. And if they are gone beyond recall, let us hope, at least, that in gatherings such as this, we shall still speak of them with pride and affection, still cherish in our hearts the memory of those dead and gone great ones whose fame the world will not willingly let die. Uh, but yes, there are always, in gatherings such as this, sadder thoughts that will recur to our minds, thoughts of the past, of youth, of changes, of absent faces that we miss here tonight. Our path through life is strewn with many such sad memories, and were we to brood upon them always, we could not find the heart to go on bravely with our work among the living. We have, all of us, living duties, and living affections which claim, and rightly claim, our strenuous endeavors. Therefore, I will not linger on the past. I will not let any gloomy moralizing intrude upon us here tonight. Here we are gathered together for a brief moment from the bustle and rush of our everyday routine. We are met here as friends, in the spirit of good fellowship, as colleagues, also, to a certain extent, in the true spirit of camaraderie and as guests of, what shall I call them, the three graces of the Memphis musical world. 
What did he say? What did he say? He says we are the three graces, Aunt Julie. Oh, well, how lovely. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not attempt to play tonight the part that Paris played on another occasion. I will not attempt to choose between them. The task would be an invidious one, and one beyond my poor powers. For when I view them in turn, whether it be our chief hostess herself, my Aunt Kate, whose good heart, whose too good heart, has become a byword for all who know her, or her sister, my dear Aunt Julie, who seems to be gifted with perennial youth, and whose singing must have been a surprise and a revelation to us all tonight. Or, last but not least, when I consider our youngest hostess, my dear cousin Mary Jane, talented, cheerful, hard-working, and the best of nieces. I confess, ladies and gentlemen, that I do not know to which of them I should award the prize. And so, let us toast them all three together. Let us drink to their health, wealth, long life, happiness, and prosperity. And may they long continue to hold the proud and self-won position which they hold in their profession and the position of honor and affection which they hold in our hearts. He tells a lie, for they are jolly good fellows, for they are jolly good fellows, for they are jolly good fellows, which nobody can deny. the door, somebody, or we will all catch our death of cold. Mr. Brown is out there, Aunt Kate. Mr. Brown is everywhere. <laughs> really? Now, Aunt Kate, he is very attentive. He has been spread around here like the fever all during Christmas. Oh, but tell him to come in, Mary Jane, and close the door. Oh, I hope to goodness he didn't hear me. Mr. Brown? Mr. Brown? Aunt Kate asked whether you won't come back inside. <laughs> Freddie will have all the hacks in Memphis out. Look at the old boy out there in the snow. Aunt Julie, is, is Margaret not down yet? She's getting on her things, Gabriel. Uh, who's, who's playing up there? Nobody. They're all gone. Oh, no, Aunt Julie. Mr. Crandall is still up there. Someone is fooling at the piano, anyhow. Oh, it makes me feel cold to look at you two gentlemen all bundled up like that. I don't envy you your journey home at this hour. Cold? <laughs> well, I'd like nothing better right this minute than a long, slow walk in the country. 
or a speedy cab ride with a good strong Cleveland Bay between the shafts. <laughs> we used to have a very good horse and trap back home. <laughs> the never-to-be-forgotten Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was so wonderful about Johnny? Uh, well... The, the late lamented Andrew Morgan, my, my grandfather, commonly known in his later years as the old gentleman, was a glue boiler. Oh, now, Gabriel, he had a starch mill. Well, glue or starch. Uh, the old gentleman had a horse by the name of Johnny, and Johnny used to work in the old gentleman's mill, walking round and round in order to drive the mill. Uh, that was all very well, but... Now comes the tragic part about Johnny. One fine day, the old gentleman thought he'd like to drive out with the rest of the knobs to a military exercise in Forest Park. The Lord have mercy on his soul. Amen. (laughs) So the old gentleman, as I said, harnessed Johnny and put on his very best tall hat and his very best stock collar and drove out in grand style from his ancestral mansion. Somewhere near the pinch, I think. Now, Gabriel, he didn't live in the pinch, only the mill was there. Out from the mansion of his forefathers, the old gentleman drove with Johnny, and everything went on beautifully until Johnny came in sight of General Forrest's statue. (laughs) And whether he fell in love with the horse that the general sits on, or whether he thought he was back again in the mill, anyhow, he began to walk around the statue. (laughs) (laughs) Round and round he went. And the old gentleman, who was a very pompous old gentleman, was highly indignant. Go on, sir! What do you mean by this, sir? Johnny! Johnny! Most extraordinary conduct! Can't understand the horse! (laughs) I could only get one cab. Margaret and I will find another along the way. Yes, yes. Better not keep poor Freddy there standing in the draft. Good night, Freddy. Good, Good night. night, Mr. Brown. Good night, ladies. I had a wonderful time. Well, isn't Freddy terrible? He really is terrible, isn't he? Well, Aunt Kate, Aunt Julie, Mary Jane, I'll, I'll just round up Margaret, and then we'll be on our way as well. I wonder what's become of her. There she is, Gabriel, at the top of the stairs there. Oh, why, so she is. Margaret, we... Margaret. In a Mr. Crandall singing, and he wouldn't sing all the night. Church house where I 
is more than state I die. Will you see my little daughter? Will you make her understand? Oh, person, tell me quickly, will my soul pass through? <coughs> oh! What a pity. Was he coming down, Margaret? Yes. Oh, Mr. Crandall, it's downright mean of you to break off like that when we were all in such raptures listening to you. I've been after him all evening, and Margaret, too. He told us he had a terrible cold and couldn't sing. Oh, Mr. Crandall, now that was a fib, wasn't it? Why would you tell such an awful fib? Can't you tell him his horse is a crow? It's the weather. Yes. Everybody has colds right now. Everybody. They say we haven't had snow like it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I read this morning in the papers that the snow is general all over the South. <laughs> I just love the look of snow. Oh. So do I. I think Christmas is never really Christmas unless we have snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. But poor Mr. Crandall doesn't like the snow. Oh, well... It's nothing, really. Just a slight cold. At any rate, it is a great pity. I do so love to hear you sing. Yes, yes. Now, you must be very careful with your throat in the night air. Mm -hmm. Mr. Yes. Crandall, what is the name of that song you were singing? Oh, it's called The Rebel Soldier, but I couldn't remember it properly. Why, do you know it? The Rebel Soldier... I couldn't think of the name. It's a very nice air. I'm sorry you were not in voice tonight. Now, Mary Jane, don't annoy Mr. Crandall. I won't have him annoyed. Oh, no, it really is nothing. Well, thank you again. Oh, Good night, all. Good, Good night, night, Mr. Crandall. Good night. We, we should be going, too, I, I suppose. Good night, Aunt Kate, and thanks for a lovely evening. Good night, Gabriel. Good night, Margaret. Good night, Tired, my dear. Yes. Well, well, we will be at the hotel soon, and then we can rest. Margaret. Yes, Gabriel. You looked quite beautiful tonight, Margaret. Standing up on the stairs there, listening to Mr. Crandall, I thought you looked quite, quite mysterious and quite beautiful. Thank you, Gabriel. Margaret, do you remember the glassmaker we saw at that factory in the country? The one making bottles in a furnace? Yes, Gabriel. Interesting, wasn't it? The way he heated the glass, shaped it. The furnace was blazingly hot. <laughs> I'm 
I don't know why I thought of it. <laughs> Here we are, sir. Ah, thank you again, my good man, and here you are. Well, thank you, sir, and a prosperous new year to you, sir. And to you. Come along, my darling. Just a few more minutes now. A few more minutes, and we will be alone. This is the room, sir. Excellent. Thank you, Porter. And at what time would you like me to call you in the morning, sir? Oh, uh, 8 o'clock, please. Okay. The electric light is here on this wall, sir. I'm sorry it's uh, not yes, working. Yes, yes, fine. Uh, we don't want any light. Uh, there's enough coming in from the street. Uh, you might take away that candle, too. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Oh, and here you are oh. for your troubles. Thank you, sir. Good night, sir. Miss? Margaret? Yes, Gabriel? You look tired. I am, a little. You don't feel ill, I hope. No, just tired. No, Good. Uh, by the way, uh, Margaret. What is it? Uh, you know that, that poor heel, Freddie Malins? Yes, what about him? Uh, well, poor heel, I, he, he's a decent sort after all. Uh, Tonight he gave me back that dollar I lent him. I didn't really expect it. It's too bad he wouldn't keep away from that Mr. Brown, because he's hes really not a bad fellow at heart. When did you lend him the dollar? Oh, uh, a few weeks ago, when I when I saw him in that little Christmas card shop on, on Main Street. You are a very generous person, Gabriel. Margaret, Margaret, dear, um... What are you thinking about? Uh, tell me what it is, Margaret. I think I know what's on your mind. Do I know? Oh, I'm thinking about that song. The Rebel Soldier. <laughs> what? <laughs> what about the song? Why does that make you cry? Why, Margaret? I'm thinking about a person long ago who used to sing that song. And who was the person long ago? It was a person I used to know in New Orleans when I was living there with my grandmother. Someone you were in love with? It was a young boy I used to know named Michael Fury. He used to sing that song, The Rebel Soldier. He was very delicate. Oh, I can see him so plainly. Such beautiful eyes he had. Big dark eyes. And such an expression in them. Such an expression. Oh, then you were in love with him. I used to go out walking with him. Is that so? And I suppose that was why you wanted to go back to New Orleans with that Ivers woman? What for? How do I know? To see him, perhaps. He's dead. 
He died when he was only 17. Isn't it a terrible thing to die as young as that? What? What was he? He was in the gas works. I suppose you were in love with this Michael Fury, Margaret. I was very close with him at the time. And what did he die of so young? Consumption, was it? I think... I think he died for me. It was in the winter, the beginning of the winter, when I was going to leave my grandmother's and come up here to Memphis. He was sick at the time and and wouldn't be let out. His people in Lake Charles were written to. He was in decline, they said, or, or something like that. I never rightly knew. Poor boy. He was such a gentle soul and so very fond of me. We used to go out together walking, you know, Gabriel, like they do in the country. He was going to study singing, but for his health, he had a very good voice. Poor Michael Fury. Well, and then? And then when it came time for me to leave New Orleans, he was much worse, and his family wouldn't let me in to see him. So I I wrote him a letter saying I was going up to Memphis and, and would be back in the summer, and I hoped he would be better then. The night before I left, I was in my grandmother's house packing my things, and I I heard gravel being thrown against the window. The window was so wet I, I couldn't see out, so I ran downstairs as I was and slipped out into the back garden. And there was poor Michael Fury at the end of the garden, shivering. And surely you, you told him to go back. I begged him to go home right away. I told him he would catch his death in the rain. But he said... He said he didn't want to live... If I was leaving, I can still see his eyes. He was standing at the end of the wall under a big willow tree. And did he go home? Yes, eventually he went home. When I was only a week here in Memphis, he died. And he was buried in Lake Charles where his people came from. Oh, the day, the day I heard that, that he was dead. All right, right, Margaret. It's all right. It's It's all right. It's all right. Margaret? Margaret, darling, are are you asleep? So, 
So you have had that romance in your life. A man died for your sake. I was I was jealous, Margaret, I admit it. I, but it hardly pains me now to think of how poor a part I, your husband, have played in your life. Looking at you now, asleep so innocently, I feel as though... I feel as though you and I have never even lived together as husband and wife. God, what you must have been then, in that time of your first girlish beauty. Oh, of course you are still beautiful, Margaret. But I am thinking of the face for which Michael Fury braved death. Perhaps you have not told me all the story. Margaret, I am ashamed at my riot of emotions an hour ago. From what did it proceed? From Aunt Julie and Aunt Kate's supper? <laughs> from my own foolish speech? From the wine and the dancing? The, the laughter? The pleasure of seeing the city in the snow? Poor Aunt Julie. She, too, will soon be a shade, along with the shades of Andrew Morgan and his horse. I caught that haggard look upon her face for a moment when she was singing. Soon, perhaps, I will be sitting in that same drawing room, dressed in black, my silk hat on my knees, the blinds will be drawn down, and Aunt Kate will be sitting beside me, crying and, and blowing her nose and telling me how Julie died. And, as always, I will cast about in my mind for some words that might console her and will find only lame and useless ones. Yes. Yes, that will happen very soon. One by one, we are all becoming shades. Better to pass boldly into that other world in the full glory of some passion than to fade and wither dismally with age. And to think, dear Margaret, you have had locked in your heart for so many years that image, the image of your lover's eyes when he told you that he did not want to live. Margaret, I myself have never felt like that towards any woman but I know that such a feeling must be love. I can... I can almost see him there in the darkness. Yes. The form of a young man standing under a dripping tree. Other forms are near as well, and it's as though I can feel myself fading into some gray, impalpable world. The solid world 
which these dead had one time reared and lived in, I can feel it dissolving, dwindling. It, it has begun to snow again. Look at the flakes. Look at them. Silver and dark. Falling against the lamplight. The time has come for me to set out on my journey. Yes. The newspapers are right. The snow is general all over the Southland. It falls on every part of the delta, on the treeless hills, falling softly upon the smoky mountains, and softly falling into the dark waters of the Mississippi. It falls, too, upon every part of the lonely churchyard, somewhere in Lake Charles, where Michael Fury lies buried. It lies thickly drifted on the crooked crosses and headstones, on the spears of the little gate, on the barren thorns. I can hear it, the snow, faintly falling through the universe and falling faintly like the descent of our last end upon all the living and the dead. You've been listening to Chatterbox, Audio Theater's production of Dead and Gone, a southern retelling of James Joyce's The Dead, featuring Randall Cooper as Gabriel, Bonnie Corvellis as Margaret, Jolyn Palmer as Aunt Kate, Jane Harris as Aunt Julie, Julie Reinbold as Mary Jane, Stephen Burke as Freddie, Jim Palmer as Mr. Brown, Teresa Morrow as Miss Ivers, Tony Walsh as Crandall, and Marlene Henderson as Lily. Music by Catherine Whitfield. He's Gone Away, performed by Anne Sharp. Digital piano, generously loaned by Memphis Music Yamaha Piano. Sound effects by Bill Short. Assistant produced by James Antoine. Produced by Eric Sefton. Assistant directed by Karen Strawn. Adapted and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater 
is a nonprofit web-based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that was Chatterbox Audio Theater with Dead and Gone, a retelling of the James a retelling of the James Joyce story set in the American South. You can, of course, find much more of Chatterbox's work up online, www.chatterboxtheater.org, chatterboxtheater.org. Um, soon they'll have their own Christmas special from this year up there. Uh, great piece if you didn't catch it live. Um, should be coming to the podcast soon. You can also download right now their live Halloween show from 2009. Um, also uh, very, very much worth checking out as well as um, many other original and classic tales they've redone. Whew. Okay, so 2010 is upon us and um, here is me raising a glass of bubbly to celebrate all the great audio drama we have heard and what is coming down the pike to us this year. This is also nearly Radio Drum Revival's third year in podcasting, I'm pleased to say. So we will be doing something special for that. Not quite sure what, but, you know, something. (laughs) Stay tuned. Anyways, here's your reminder to check out our blog and podcast at radiodramarevival.com. News, reviews, and discussion up there. You can also find us on iTunes. Search for Radio Drama Revival. That wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains to their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you'd like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's community radio. This podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.